Well, the Flames came out flat on Monday afternoon or Monday evening. I guess we would all agree with that. I would suggest that there would be very few who would disagree with the fact the Flames were flat three nights ago. There's no excuse for that tonight, though. And not just because it happened the game before, but also because the Flames are in Toronto. They're in the center of the universe, the biggest hockey market on planet Earth. There's natural motivation for a game like tonight. On top of that, this ain't the Leafs of five years ago who were pushovers. Still got sold out crowds, but were pushovers. (laughs) This is a really good Maple Leafs team. This is a team under Sheldon Keefe that has completely changed the narrative and gone from being one of the biggest early season disappointments to now one of the hottest teams in the NHL over the last month and a half, two months. So you've got an extremely offensively talented team. You've got a flat effort against the Habs on Monday. If you're the Flames, there's no excuse to be flat tonight. If you're the Flames, you better come out with a pretty good effort. And and here's the thing. These are the games the Flames typically do get up for. These mm-hmm. are the games that, you know, games games that have that natural motivation, like games against the Oilers and in big spots like this with big spotlights. Yeah, when the Flames have easy, built-in motivation, they're pretty good. It's the games where there's not that built-in motivation, where they're not so good. When they're playing against a team like the Montreal Canadiens, who are very bad, or Mm -hmm. the Ottawa Senators, who are very bad. Those are the games that I worry about. Games like this, I'm not so worried about, because I think the Flames will be ready to rock and roll tonight. Yeah, and you have seven players on the roster who are playing tonight who are from Ontario, eight if you include Cam Talbot, and another one in Matthew Kachuk, who played his junior hockey in Ontario. So there are a number of Ontario ties. There are a number of reasons for this Flames team to get up for this game. And I think the biggest one is you didn't against Montreal, and you lost to Montreal. So if you're going to lose the winnable games, you got to come out and win the tough ones. This is a tough one tonight. It's a Leafs team that is playing incredible hockey under Sheldon Keefe. All they do is score more than four goals a game. It's a very talented Leafs team. It's a very dynamic Leafs team. You need full marks tonight if you're the Flames going up against the Toronto team that, quite frankly, even if the Flames play perfectly tonight, Toronto still might be good enough to beat them. So you need to be absolutely ready to go for a matchup with the Toronto Maple Leafs this Well, and, and let's not forget, the last time these two teams met in December, it was December 12th, the Scotiabank Saddledome. The Flames were down one nothing and 2-1 in that game, and it was the type of game where it really could have gone either way because it was 2-1 after 40 minutes of play, and Flames took over for a span of about five minutes in the third period. But before that, I would suggest the Maple Leafs were probably the team that was carrying the majority of the play and, and the team that was better for most of that hockey game. So, and that was with Morgan Riley in the lineup and not having Riley is a significant drop for them. Not mm-hmm. having Riley, that's a huge loss. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that this this is going to be a, a game where if the Flames do come out flat, they're not going to lose 2 nothing. They're going to lose 5-1 or they're, they're going to get kicked in the teeth with a skate on. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, Toronto scored seven against New Jersey in their last game. I mean, look, <laughs> they, they they turned a, what was it, 7-1 against Florida that game or 6-1 against Florida. That game turned into more of a game than it should have because Toronto's got offensive talent that can play with anybody. Like This, mm-hmm. this is one of, if not the deepest group of forwards in the NHL. You know, I think Vegas yeah. would have something to say about that. Uh, you know, Boston might want to have a conversation or Tampa. Tampa Bay. Yeah, but... And, and you know, I think that even Flames fans would say that there's a pretty deep group of forwards. But I'm talking about at the high end. Right. Deep elite talent. Yeah. That it's it's incredible what the, this team can roll talent out. talent or 90-point yeah. talent. Well, Austin Matthews is on pace for 59 goals this season. And, I mean, you look, this team's third line with Janssen, Kerfoot, and Kapanen. That's really good. Yeah. Like, that, that's an incredible third line. Now, the weakness comes when uh, that top blue line pair is Travis Dermott, uh, Dermott and Justin Hall. That's a problem when that's your number one. Um, so with the, the injuries that the Leafs have with Muzzin and Riley right now, that th- there is an area you can exploit on the Toronto Maple Leafs. And again, you better, because this is a very talented team that the Flames are going to be playing today. Yep, yep. It's, it's, I think, going to be a fun game. I think we're going to yeah. see 
a Flames team that is pretty fired up and ready to rock Hope and so. roll. Welcome to the Steinberg Show. My name is Pat Steinberg. His name is Peter Klein. We're brought to you by Fifth Avenue Auto House. Here's what we can tell you about tonight's game. It is a 5 o'clock face-off right here on Sportsnet 960. The fan Sportsnet West is where you'll find this game. Despite it being an all-Canadian matchup, this is a regional game only. Regional because TSN's got the rights in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So Sportsnet West is where you'll find this game in our market. And... If you haven't gotten with the times and TV's not your thing, uh, or you're driving home tonight in bitter, bitter cold, Sportsnet 960 has it for you. Wilsey yeah. and Lubo have the call. Or if your cable just freezes because everything is freezing, it's cold outside. Yeah, I, I think you should just listen to the radio, period. I think so. Uh, Flames oh, are going do. with David Riddick for a second consecutive game. It'll be Frederick Anderson going for the Toronto Maple Leafs, an all-star goaltending matchup officially because mm-hmm. both gentlemen are slated to be at the all-star game, not this weekend, but the weekend after in St. Louis. So it's an all-star goaltending matchup between Riddick and Freddie Anderson. Only one change for the Flames. Ronaldo out, Jankowski in for this game tonight. So... It'll be Reeder and Bennett flanking Jankowski mm-hmm. while Ronaldo comes out. Everything else stays the same, including on the blue line. Let's hear from head coach Jeff Ward. We just talked about the difficulties of defending such a deep forward group like the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's where Jeff Ward started his conversation with the media today. Well, you got to make sure you're, uh, you know, you just, you're reloading real well. Um, try to reduce the, the time and space of the, of the skill that they have. Jeff, Matthew talked about some of your road success of late kind of coming from just building shifts and making sure that everyone's a part of it, especially early on. Is that what you'd like to see here tonight as far as, you know, those first uh, few minutes of this game established? Yeah, sure. I mean, our, you know, our plan doesn't change. Our, our game doesn't change. Um, we know we're playing a dangerous team tonight. Uh, but at the end of the day, we, you know, we worry about we, what we can control, and that's how we play. And so our goal is to come out and establish our game early. Jeff, he played a pretty good game in Montreal, but to go back to David Riddick, he was just talking about what it meant to him to know that he could build on that. For sure, and uh, he was, you know, he was good in Montreal, and we've talked about it a lot. I mean, we really like the depth of our goaltending position. Both guys are playing well right now, so you know, just as we came back to Cam last week, we're going to come back to Ritter tonight, and. You know, our team's got a lot of confidence in him that uh, he'll come in and do a good job for us. As you gauge the emotional level or maybe the signs you need to see today against a bright spotlight here in Toronto and some guys from the area, what do you notice? Well, I, you know, I, I like our focus. You know, I thought we had a, thought we had a good morning skate. Um, guys are talking about it. You know it's a game day. You can just feel it by walking in the dressing room. So for where we need to be, at the time of day that it is on a game day, we're uh, we're in a good spot. How do you feel, Matthew? Any other Sorry, did you no, say anticipate making any lineup changes from Montreal's game? Uh, there might be one or two. Yeah. Um, we'll sit down and finalize those through lunch. But uh, you know, we've talked about it uh, for a long time now. We we like the depth of our lineup. We got uh, we got a lot of players who um, can step in and play. And uh, we feel like everybody on our team is playing well at this point in time. So for us to, uh, to plug guys in and out, it's, it's normal for us. And uh, we'll take a look at those decisions over lunch and then come up with a final rest. Spotlight's been pretty bright on Matthew the last few days. How do you feel he's handling it? Fine. You know, um, we talked about it yesterday. But uh, right now, I mean, you know, you can tell by talking to him this morning, he's, he's focused on Toronto. You know, and our 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 team is focused on Toronto. Like we take it a game at a time, a day at a time. So we'll get back to the Battle of Alberta, uh, you know, after the break. But right now, we're worried about Toronto and then Ottawa. Have, yeah. Having yeah. a guy Mark like Jankos. that with, with such offensive talent and such a presence, and then have him also be able to sort of agitate the way he does and get other teams off their game, how much of an advantage is that for your guys? Well, you love having a guy like that on your team, for sure. I mean, uh we had the same uh, same situation in Boston when I was there with Brad Marchant, high talented guy, you know, can uh, can play the agitator role real well. Um, and there's guys like that all, all over the league. But I, I'll tell you, you like having those guys on your team, and you hate playing against them. Are those guys better when the temperature is higher? I think so. Yeah. You know, I, I think they uh, it's part of their DNA. You know, they, they they look forward to to big games, and they look forward to having opportunities to make a difference in big games. And uh, it's, it's like that with any player. I mean, we're not asking anybody to do anything that they can't do or aren't comfortable doing. So, you know, uh, Matthew brings his game to the ice on a daily basis, just like all the other players in our team do. And, you know, we don't, uh, we don't try to change that. He's, he's become a National League player for reasons, and part of that is the way that he plays. Is it a statement about how the game is 
played now and how it's changed the last 10, 15 years that something like what happened over the weekend is such big news three, four, five days later still? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the game has definitely changed. And uh, the players don't the players don't worry about it because they, they're not, you know, they're not playing 15 years ago, 10 years ago. They're focused on what the game's like today and how they fit into the game today. So I think for the players, there's not so much noise about it. I, I think for everybody else, uh, there is. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it gives people an opportunity to promote the game, write stories. Uh, both fan bases are, you know, are in it. So that yeah, uh, makes for good conversation around the game, but I don't think the players are concerned about it that much. Jeff, to see David uh, Riddick named an all-star yesterday, what does that say about the season he's put together? And I know he's excited about the opportunity, but, uh, you know, what can you say about the year that he's put in and, and the reward of going to the all-star? Yeah, I mean, it's well-earned. We, we really feel like it's well-earned. He's, he's played an awful lot of real good hockey for us, and, He's given us an opportunity to win uh, when he's been in there, I would say, on 97 or 98% of the nights. Um, so he's been, he's been real, real solid for us, and we're happy for him. It's a, it's a well-deserved nomination. If uh, Mark Jankowski comes back in tonight, what does he have to do to, to be impactful and stay in? Play his game. Play his game, play hard. What is his game in your eyes? Uh, well, he plays a pretty good 200-foot game. You know, we, we feel like he's a real smart player. He's got skill. Uh, he's real good structure-wise in terms of what we need offensively and defensively. So just play to your strengths. He's got a good shot. Would you like to see him put himself in a position to use that more? Well, I mean, he's, you know, the last few games he's been in, he's had opportunities to shoot, and he has. Um, he's got some real good scoring chances. He's got some good looks. So, you know, for him, he's just got to make sure he keeps shooting. It's been a pretty crazy half season for your, for your group. How will you look back at you know, these last few months? Uh, well, I think the key thing is right now we don't. You know, we, we focus on what's going on right now and, you know, tomorrow we'll focus on the, on the next challenge and practice day tomorrow and then a game day. So I, I don't think you lose yourself too much looking back. Um, you know, we talk about getting better every day as a team, so I think the group's real focused on that. Um, and we've talked about it in our room a lot. I mean, adversity makes you stronger. So, you know, we've had some adversity and I think the guys have reacted to it in the right way. And I think it's helped... Uh, you know, in, a, in a, a weird sort of way, bring our team together. What do you think of a, a bye week as a whole? Is it a good chance to recharge, or would you rather just keep playing? And... Well, I think, you know, I think we'd all rather keep playing. You know, I mean, you, you look at statistically how teams are with the bye week. You know, it's, uh, I don't think anybody's particularly enamored with it. Um, I understand why it is. But uh, I think at this time of year, going into, the, going into the break, the players right now would rather play. Uh, then, then take some time off. Jeff, can I just circle back on Riddick quick? The sure. All-Star game is a chance, I think, for the hockey world to kind of learn the personalities of the guy. Can you just shed some light on what the rest of the hockey world is going to learn about David in St. Louis? Well, he's a, he's a real personable kid. You know, he, uh, he's got an outgoing personality. He loves to have fun, loves the game, you know, but he's real competitive. So when it's it's time for the puck to drop, he's he's serious, he's focused, he's prepared. But outside of that, he, he enjoys life a lot. He likes to laugh. He likes to have fun with his teammates. He's a, you know, he's he's been a great addition to our team. Jeff Ward, the head coach of the Calgary Flames, ahead of tonight between the Flames and the Toronto Maple Leafs, five o'clock live from Scotiabank Arena. Scotiabank Arena in Toronto. Uh-huh. Scotiabank Place. Yep. There's Scotiabank. I get so confused. Oh, is it now? Names. Now I'm not confident in that one. I'm pretty sure it's. There's Rogers Place. There's Rogers Arena. There's Scotiabank. Scotiabank Place. I think there's Scotiabank. I think it's Scotiabank Arena in Toronto and Scotiabank Arena in Toronto. Scotiabank Place is in Ottawa. I don't know. Good for Scotiabank. Get out there. Toronto. Toronto Arena is where they're (laughs) playing tonight. Uh, it'll be a difficult task against a very good Maple Leafs team, and that's exactly what we heard from Derek Ryan, who spoke with Peter Labardius this morning. Derek, I know game in and game out, you know, there's always different challenges, but with the Leafs and what they can bring offensively, what's really important for you guys tonight? Yeah, I think we have to be mindful every time we're on the ice. You know, every shift, they're dangerous, they're potent offensively, and... Um, I think there's been certain points this year, certain games where we've kind of traded chances with teams, and I don't think that's a recipe for success tonight or really in the long term any against any team here in this league. So, yeah, we have to be cognizant of that and make sure that we're tight defensively. I think that um, if we do that, we'll get our fair share of chances either way. So um, can't be trading chances with them. 
The one thing that never changes, though, is I find the best way to defend elite-level people is make them defend you. And when you guys do that, that seems to, you know, put you in pretty good stead. Well, I think that's probably the best best way to do it. The Any top-end team, top-end guys... You know, McDavid's the same way. We feel the same way when we play Edmonton that, you know, if we make him play in the defensive zone, then that kind of takes away all of his offensive ability, um, can frustrate the other team as well. And so it's no different tonight against Toronto. If we can make those guys play in their own end a lot more than they want to, then they'll get frustrated, and obviously they can't hurt us there. And I know you guys were certainly not happy with probably your compete level in Montreal and don't expect to see that again tonight. Yeah, we want to compete a lot, a lot harder. We want to be dialed in, um, you know, into the every facet of the game a little more than we were in Montreal. I think we kind of slept through that game a little more than we wanted to. So yeah, these points are huge. Two huge games here before the break, and uh, we have to make sure we're at our best. That is Derek Ryan of the Calgary Flames ahead of tonight's game with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Once again, 5 o'clock, Sportsnet 960 and Sportsnet West on television if you're looking for this one. Uh, Don't forget our Calgary Flames warm-up will go between 4 and 5 o'clock on your drive home. And as part of that, another iconic moment. I will give you a moment from the past, ask you a trivia question about it, and then if you get that trivia question right, you're the first one through at 960-960. You'll be entered into our grand prize draw, which is a trip for two to Las Vegas for the NHL Awards in June. It includes airfare and accommodation for two plus $600 spending cash. It's all brought to you by Iconic Electric and Controls, promoting a culture of quality since 2008. Visit IconicEC.ca. Well, we like to help you win money on football games here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan, and we're going to do that next with one of our handicapping experts, Ian from Odd Shark. He's up next on the Steinberg Show, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. A couple days away from Championship Sunday in the NFL. Starts with the Titans and the Chiefs and then concludes with the Packers and the Niners. Welcome back to the Steinberg Show. It's Thursday, which means it's time to chat with our buddy Ian McMillan from Odd Shark. See if we can get you some good advice to win you some money this weekend in the NFL and beyond. Hello, Ian. How are you, pal? I am doing fantastic, Pat. I'm 6-1-1 one one with my uh, NFL playoff pick so far. So I'm doing great. I'm hoping my luck continues. I can't wait for Sunday. Absolutely. Well, you're 6-1-1. You better listen to Ian because uh, we're going to break down the AFC and the NFC championships right now, starting with Tennessee and Kansas City. So right now, the Thursday line has the Chiefs at home favored by 7.5. When you take a look at the, when you take a look at the spread, totals, all that type of stuff, what's jumping off the page at you when it comes to the AFC title game? Yeah, I think, it's, I think they're giving the Titans too many points. I'm going to back the Titans to cover the spread here. I don't know if they can win straight up, but, I mean, look no further than these two teams played in the regular season, and Tennessee won that game. And not only did Tennessee win that game, but Derrick Henry had his best game of the regular season. I believe he averages a crazy amount of yards per carry. I think it was like 8.8 yards per carry or something like that. He tore the Chiefs up in the regular season, uh, and now he's been – very hot in the playoffs. Everyone knows that. If there's been a playoff MVP so far, it's Derrick Henry. No question about that. So I think this is a bad matchup for the Chiefs. I think the line is where it's at because of the a little bit of recency bias because of just how explosive the Chiefs' offense was against the Texans. Obviously, that huge comeback win last weekend. Um, but don't forget the Texans had one of the worst defenses in the NFL all season. The Titans have a much better defense. They're going to rely on the run game. Seven, seven and a half, that's too many points. I'm going to back the Titans in that one. Okay, so you've got the uh, Titans covering a plus seven and a half spread on the road in KC. It's the same number on Thursday in San Francisco. The Niners at home favored by a touchdown and a half against Green Bay. Yeah, this one I'm going to go the opposite. I'm going to go with the favorite in this one. I think the 49ers are going to cover the spread. I think it's something that I mentioned on the show last week that I am not sold on the Packers. I honestly think they're one of the worst 13-3 and regular season teams in NFL history. This 49ers defense is just too good. And this is another game that uh, they already played in the regular season, and the 49ers won that game 37-8. to So I think the 49ers are going to run away uh, with this one again. I think Nick Bose is going to have a big game on defense. I think he's going to be able to get to Aaron Rodgers quite a bit. He's he's going to be pressured all game. The 49ers are just such a complete team from defense to offense. I love what Kyle Shanahan's doing. I think they have the better coach between him and Matt LaFleur as well. I love how much he runs um, motion before, before, uh, before the plays. I believe they've 
brought that up in the broadcast last week where about 78% of plays they run motion beforehand, which can really throw off a defense that's going to be trouble for the Packers. I think the 49ers run away with this one. Okay, so Ian McMillan's picks for championship Sunday, Tennessee plus 7.5, San Francisco minus 7.5 in the AFC and NFC title games, respectively. You've also been looking at some props for Sunday's games. Tell us about a couple of those props that you've got your eyes on. Yeah, in the playoffs, it's always fun to, to bet on props. And the main ones that you look at is just most passing yards in the conference championship games, most receiving yards, and most rushing yards. Now, I did just talk up uh, Derrick Henry. Uh, he's obviously going to have a big game, but he's minus 275 to have the most rushing yards this weekend. I don't think there's a lot of value there. I mean, there is always a possibility the Chiefs do figure something out and can stop Derrick Henry. So if you're looking for value there, I think you got to look at the 49ers uh, running back, uh, Raheem uh, Mostert, plus 950 for him to lead in rushing yards. And the 49ers love to, uh, to, to run the ball. We saw that last week after Jimmy Garoppolo threw that interception. They barely threw the ball again for the rest of the game, and they're very successful on, uh, with the running game. So if you were looking for value there, I like him. Most receiving yards, Devontae Adams uh, led last week. He's the favorite to lead again this week. But he's at plus 325. I think he has some value to lead in receiving yards on Sunday. And then most passing yards, you're actually going to want to look at a team that's probably going to have to play from behind. So I went with the Packers receiver as far as most uh, receiving yards. I would go with Aaron Rodgers for most passing yards as well. You can get that at plus 350. I think the 49ers are going to win, but they're going to win big. So the Packers are going to have to pass a lot to try to catch up. With Ian McMillan from Odd Shark, he joins us on Thursdays on the program. You've been tracking Super Bowl odds since the beginning of the season. Here we are with just two more games to go before we get to Super Bowl Sunday. What, What have we seen in terms of trends and how things have changed between the beginning of the year and now? Yeah, definitely. So the, the Chiefs and the 49ers are obviously the favorite going in right now with, with the Chiefs being the slight favorite overall. And that was kind of, for those two teams, we kind of saw them trend upwards from the start of the season all the way till now. The Chiefs were 8-1 to one at the start of the season. Uh, they did drop a little bit about midseason. But the craziest thing that I found when looking at Super Bowl odds, in November, you could have got the Tennessee Titans at 150-1. to one. Now, of course, the Tennessee Titans, they still need to win two big games in order to win the Super Bowl. So, I mean, they're still a big stretch to win. But you could have put $1 on them in November, and if they ended up win, end up winning the Super Bowl here, you'd be up $150 on that single $1 bet. So they were very close to the bottom of the league, and now look at where they are. Uh, and that was just a couple months ago. That was in November as well. Um, so, yeah, 49ers and Chiefs, they've kind of trended up uh, the entire season. The Packers were 16-1. to 1. At the start of the season, they only trended up throughout the season as well, obviously, with the amount of games that they won. But that about the Titans, the Titans were 50 to 1 at the start of the year, dropped all the way down to 150 to 1. Um, and now, I mean, they're two wins away from winning it all. So that's a pretty crazy story with the Titans if anyone was able to grab them in November. Final thought for you just on handicapping, and we'll focus in on tonight. Anything on the NHL ice that you're focused in on? Yeah, there is. A, I have two plays uh, for the NHL that I do like a lot tonight. The first one is the Rangers and the Islanders, the Battle of New York. They played earlier this week. I believe it was on Monday, and it was a high-scoring game. But when you look at the underlying statistics, both these teams aren't usually high-scoring teams. They're actually this season in five-on-five. They are last and third last in shot attempts per game, so they don't get a ton of shots on net. That total is at six. I like the under there tonight. You have the possibility with the push if it just sits at six as well. Also, I think this is the biggest game of the night, the Penguins and the Bruins. You can back the Penguins as an underdog on the road in Boston. I like that spot. Sidney Crosby is back with the Penguins now. He's coming off injury. The Penguins are looking really good, and they've won five straight games on the road, whereas the Bruins are three and seven in their last ten games on, uh, at home. So looking at a team that hasn't been great at home compared to a team who's been good on the road and with Crosby back in the lineup, I love the Penguins as an underdog tonight in the NHL. Good stuff, my man. Appreciate it. As always, tell us a little bit more about Odd Shark and why we should take a trip over there. Yeah, absolutely. If you're into sports betting whatsoever uh, or if you're looking to bet on anything else, I mean, you can even bet on things like the U.S. election if you want to bet on that. 
uh, even things like television shows, the Grammys, anything like that, head over to Odd Shark. We also have uh, a very good live show that we do uh, on YouTube at 12 p.m. Eastern uh, from Monday to Friday. So check that out. We're going to have a lot of picks uh, for this coming weekend as well on our show tomorrow. So just search Odd Shark on YouTube as well if you're interested in that. Once again, that's at 12 p.m. Eastern. So it's a little bit early in the morning for you guys out there uh, out in the West. Uh, but it's a great show, and we give picks every day uh, from Monday to Friday, so check that out. Awesome, Ian. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you so much, pal. Thanks a lot, Pat. Take care, and good luck to anyone who bets this weekend. He's Ian McMillan from Odd Shark. He joins us Thursdays on the Steinberg Show, and he joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline. The same secret recipe since 1975 for pickup or delivery. Call 403-248-3344 and find them at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. We are scheduled to chat with Adnan Vert coming up next it might be a little bit late in the segment, but uh, we will get Adnan's thoughts on another casualty of the Houston Astros sign-stealing scandal and what comes next. Is there more still to come? Because this has already been the most unprecedented week in Major League Baseball history, and that ain't an exaggeration. This is the Steinberg Show on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Tinder and Steinberg on the air and online. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Time to hear from our MLB insider Adnan Verk right now. Steinberg and Klein along with you. Whatever are we going to talk about with the one and only Adnan Verk as we welcome you back to the program. Our Major League Baseball insider is on the set of MLB Network right now. Verk, what are you guys talking about right now? Do you guys have anything? <laughs> Must be if tough. only here in the dead of winter, Pat. We actually had some baseball news to talk about. You know what I mean? We're just making stuff up here. Who's going to sign Nicholas Castellanos? No, no, we've got uh, plenty to talk about. Man, this sign-stealing scandal, it is... Uh, it's certainly rocked the baseball world and the sports world. I'm sure you guys have been talking about it there. Oh, yeah. This is, like, I said it before the break when teased that you're coming up next. This has been the most unprecedented week in Major League Baseball history. I, I don't think that that's an exaggeration by any stretch of the imagination. And, and for you, who works in the belly of the beast and, and you cover the majors for a living, like, I, have you have you had some time to reflect on being in the middle of maybe the biggest story in a hundred years? I haven't, Pat, but you're right. When I started seeing stuff about comparing it to the Black Sox scandal, I said, oh my God, as a, a student of history in baseball, you do have to appreciate just what a, what a time capsule moment this is. That, that, when that decision came down, that Hinch and Luna gone for a year, I got to tell you, I was stunned. Stunned. I said, hang on a second. I understand this is against the rules, but we all know that everyone steals signs and that, you know, listen, shot her around the world famously, apparently the Dodgers and Giants are stealing signs and using means of getting the signs. So if a guy's on second base and he steals the catcher's signs, he's crafty and he's smart. But if you're using video, you can't. Now, I understand that is definitely going across the line. The Astros absolutely should have been punished. We all agree on that. But when I saw Hinch and Luna a year each, I said, wow, that's crazy. And then it felt like you took a breath pad. Then, wait, they're fired now? Like, these guys won a World Series a couple years ago, as well respected in the game. And then, of course, as you guys know, Alex Cora is a good friend of mine. And, and uh, I, I called Alex yesterday, just didn't say much beyond, hey, man, hang in there. Like, I went through my own issue a year ago at ESPN, so I know what it's like when, when times get tough. But um, it's crazy, man. I, I, my, my first impulse, I swear to you, Pat, and, and feel free to disagree with me, I thought a year was severe. And then I start seeing, because I'm talking to Jason Stark and Tom Verducci, all of our MLB people, and they're telling me, oh, basically baseball is upset, meaning other teams. And I said, oh, why? Because they thought it was too light. I go, really? I, I, when you look at other suspensions, to, for perspective, PEDs, do you guys remember the first suspensions for PEDs? It was 10 games for a player, 10 games. And now, thankfully, the union and the league agreed, no, we've got to make a stronger statement, 50 games, 80 games, et cetera. In this instance, Pat, just as you mentioned, just the historical context, I was just stunned at the initial punishment, and now there's going to be more coming. Uh, obviously, Alex and the Red Sox agreed to part ways, so listen, AC is going to get a punishment of some indeterminate length. And I feel like, and you guys know this, we've all watched a lot of movies, you know that the character says, oh yeah, if I'm going down, well then he's going down. So I think there's going to be more of this stuff coming out. Yeah, that's the craziest part, is that it seems like maybe we're just getting started when it comes to this whole thing unraveling. Tell us a little bit more about just from a personal standpoint. You worked with Cora at ESPN. You know him very well. How 
How tough has this been from a personal standpoint to still do your job knowing a, a good friend of yours is right in the middle of this scandal? I appreciate you asking that, Pat, because it's been grueling. I, I mean, I literally felt sick to my stomach as soon as the story came out. I spoke to him uh, last December when the story was first kind of percolating. For timeline purposes, November 12th is when the article came out that Mike Fire spoke to Ken Rosenthal, the athletic. And at that time, I just said to Alex, I said, I hope you're okay with this stuff, blah, blah, blah. And he was kind of just saying, oh, yeah, you know, we'll get through it. We'll see what happens. You know, I'm going to have to talk to the league and go from there. But he's a pretty cool customer, man. He's a pretty laid-back guy. So he didn't give any indication at that point. He was worried. And then all of a sudden, this comes down. And as I said, I spoke to him briefly. Nothing beyond, uh, you know, I offer my support. I, I, I'm not interested in hearing the details from him. I'm just being a friend. And we all know friends go through adversity sometimes. And you just got to stick by them. But what's crazy about it is, you know, Alex is a guy who literally was beloved by everybody at ESPN. He's the kind of guy who would come in and know everybody's names. And you guys know this at 960. There's certain people that come in, big names, former players, et cetera. Hi, how you doing? The production assistants, they have the directors. He'd buy empanadas once a week, buy pizzas for the crew. Like, one of those kind of guys, right? It's no surprise he lasted 14 seasons in the majors, even though he only hit 243. It's because he was a guy who could play any position, very well-liked and very smart. And this whole concept of sign stealing, you know, I'd sit with him. We'd watch ball games. He was trying to tell me, I go, how do you pick this stuff up? And he said, even when he was at Miami, when he was in college, he just was really good at decoding what the signs were. And I said, that's such a smart, cerebral player. But unfortunately, in this situation, you know, when you have that innate intelligence and you're trying to look for every advantage to win, you know, unfortunately, sometimes you go above, above the line and beyond it. And we all know that, you know, you can't use video for this purpose and, the whole banging of the garbage can is very odd. As I told, as I told Alex, I said, it's always weird when you read these stories. You go, wait, you're getting the video camera. You're reeling it by hitting a garbage can. Like, is it, can we get something a little more sophisticated? Like, is, are we that rudimentary in this day and age? But it's been tough, man. Like, when, when you're a friend, you've got to stick with a guy. And, and listen, I went through my own thing a year ago. So I this, though, for all the people, and I've heard a lot of these people out there, Pat, like, oh, he's done. Uh, listen, Alex Rodriguez twice busted for steroid use. He is currently one of the main faces of ESPN Sunday Night Baseball coverage. Okay, everybody gets a second chance. Alex is beloved by everybody in the game. Made a mistake. He's going to take a punishment. I think he'll come back. His whole life has been baseball. I'll be very careful about those who like to throw dirt on those when they're down. A-Rod's on ESPN and Fox. Like, you, you, no one gets yeah. to do that. And he's able to, to bounce between the two. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, he's... Peter, if, if we went through the, the, the annals of guys who have come, listen, Tiger Woods, for God's sake, after that sex game, like, oh, this guy's never going to see his face again. All of a sudden, he wins a Masters, and nobody's happier for him than women. I go, wait, did anybody forget the sex scandal? Like, no, Tiger's, and I, I'm thrilled for him. Trust me, I like a good redemption story. Robert Downey Jr. got busted for cocaine. He came back years later, makes Iron Man. He's one of the biggest stars in the world. So, I just think human history is written with lots of guys uh, who are able to come back. And, and a guy like AC, I pray he'll be fine. He'll obviously take a little time and whatever the punishment's going to be. And, and by the way, I think the Red Sox and him were smart to just agree to part ways. We all know there are certain situations. You, go, hey, you know what? This is, doesn't feel right moving forward. Let's move on. And the news today, as we were talking, MLB Network was involving Carlos Beltran. And again, timeline is interesting. November 1st, Beltran hired. November 12th, athletic article comes out. So Ron Darling, who I love, God, he's great, 86 Mets, of course, terrific analyst with us. He said, you know, it's interesting, you have to try to speculate, did the Mets, when interviewing Beltron, say, like, how, how would they know about the science killing, right? They, they may have said, is there anything in your past we should know about? Like, just if you're asking any interview subject. Um, and then after it came out, did they then go to Carlos and say, hey, listen, are you involved in this? Are you implicated in this? Like, what's the story here? And our understanding, at least what I just heard from Brody Van Wagenen, the Mets GM, the, the conference call was they did not. Now, they may have been told by Major League Baseball, hey, listen, don't ask them about it. We're doing our own investigation. We'll let you know. But it's really awkward timing, isn't it? You hire a guy. And, and by the way, no player's name except for Beltran. How weird is that? The report comes out and he goes, players including Carlos Beltran. As, as Ron Darling said to me, he's the only guy listed. Really interesting when you start pointing at culpability. So apparently we read the story, well, the only people at fault are Jeff Lunau, um, you know, Alex Cora, and A.J. Hinch. So... I'm not saying the player should be or shouldn't be, but why is Beltron the only guy that got named? You talk about kind of the walking a fine line and crossing that line sometimes. To, to you, what would be the line? I know the Jays were kind of accused of having the infamous man in white out in uh, the, the <laughs> I think, right center field stands uh, a few yeah. years ago. But what, what, what is the line between just giving a little touch on your thigh on second and potentially using video and garbage cans? 
Yeah, it's a, by the way, great reference you make there. You're right, Peter, the man in white. I forgot about that. But um, I think whenever you use technology, people get upset. I think if you're stealing the sign on second, you're crafty and you're smart and you're competitive and cerebral. But if there's a camera being there and you're zooming in, even though, you, by the way, you're still using that cerebral intelligence to decode what the signal is. But then when you use that video, it just feels wrong and it feels fishy. And again, I don't want to play the commissioner. I respect Rob Manfred a ton. He has all the research. I don't. I don't know all the details he said, but my initial reaction, I'm just speculating here. Maybe you get a month, right? I don't know, 30 games, 50 games. Hey, listen, guys, you got to knock that off. You can only use video for the sake of the video room breaking down swings, et cetera. You can't use it to steal sides. When I saw you for each of those guys, I said, wow. And then they lost their jobs, which is even more of a wow. And by the way, and now the follow now three organizations. Now the Red Sox and AC have parted ways. Now Beltran and the Mets have parted ways. And like I said, more is coming. There's going to be more information that gets out there. People are going to start sniffing around. And how interesting is Mike Fires? As we know, I'm such a big movie guy. I love the movie The Insider. Remember Russell Crowe and Al Pacino? Russell Crowe plays Jeffrey Wigand, who was the famous whistleblower on a big tobacco, and then 60 Minutes Cage to the story and all the rest of it. Mike Fires is a very unlikely whistleblower in this story. Jose Canseco, say what you will about the guy, and we can say a lot of things about him. When he wrote Juice, he was not doing so in an altruistic manner. He wanted to sell books, <laughs> his big mouth, and all the rest of it. But the collateral impact of Juice was actually excellent. That led to the Mitchell Report, that led to Congress, that led to everyone talking about steroids in baseball and cleaning it up. So Canseco became one of the most unlikely of heroes, maybe heroes is the right word, but unlikely of key figures. And fires in this case, and, and I, again, I throw it to you guys. I don't know how to look at it. Because a part of me says, okay, I guess if I'm part of a team that I know they're cheating, bending the rules, and I go to another team, I say, hey, guys, just so you know, my former team does this, this, and this. I guess that's good because I'm on a new team, right? I'm trying to make them win. Or is it wrong that he told Ken Rosenthal about what happened? But, again, it was on the record. So I give him credit. It wasn't like he was hiding behind it. It was an anonymous source. He goes, oh, this is what these guys do. But then, of course, I'm sure if you ask the Astros, they're going to say, oh, she had no issue taking $50,000 of the World Series shares in 2017. But then you rat it on us two years later. Yeah. It's a really complicated issue, isn't it? Well, and that's just it. Adnan works with us. It's like, okay, well, is he being altruistic? Is he doing the right thing? Or is he trying to give his new group a competitive edge and he was fine with it while he was with the Astros? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's, tough, to, yeah. it's, it's tough to sit here and say exactly what his motivation was. It's, I will say it's, it's tough to believe that it's for 100% altruistic reasons, though. 100%. I mean, everyone's got a little skin on the game. Was he doing it because he was mad the Astros gave up on him? Was he bitter at Jeff Luna or A.J. Hinch or Alex Cora or some member of the Astros? Like, it's, it's a really odd thing when you try to disseminate someone's motives behind it. But if Phil Garner said that he's going to be viewed as something of a rat, which is interesting because if you go further in baseball history, Phil Garner was involved with the Astros even in 86 with Mike Scott famously was accused of scuffing the baseball against the Mets. So I just think what's going to happen is this. Right now, what's happening with the Astros? Everyone says they're the villains. They're the ones wearing the black hats. If I'm Jose Altuve or Carlos Correa or George Springer, you know what I'm thinking? I'm probably thinking, oh, yeah, you guys think I'm the only ones doing this? Maybe they open their big mouths and say, yeah. okay, hey, Rob, you want to talk to me? I got some information on X player and this player and that player. Right? That, that's just a guess. But I, human nature, right, guys? It's like if I'm going down, they're going down too. So that's where I think it's interesting. You got time for one more question? Or do you got a roll? Of course. Okay. No, what time did you guys want? Yeah. Oh, I, I thought I thought you were on from uh, starting at uh, for, oh, you were on the air no, no, no. until I yeah, see. We were now. supposed to be on two to three Eastern, then we uh, had to go along, but now I'm free. I go an hour. Gotcha. Oh, that's yeah. wonderful. Then we'll definitely go over the top of the hour with you. I I just wanted to know. Are you like? Do you expect it? I know you touched on it a little bit earlier when you talked about second chances. But do Hinch, do Cora work again as major league managers? That's an interesting one. We got a we got a little text exchange here with our ESPN personalities discussing that issue. I, I think, well, certainly not initially. Okay, let, let's just speculate. So Hinch got a, got a year. Let's suppose uh, Cora gets a year. All right. So for a year he's going to hang up. He's got three kids. Hang up with his kids. He goes to Puerto Rico. He does some humanitarian work. I'm, I'm sure he can do a little managing in winter ball, which he used to do in Puerto Rico. As a manager, not right away. You don't get back. We all know that. So you have to come back as like a bench coach. You know what it is, Pat? Kind of like the NFL. Pat Shermer gets fired with the Giants. He's an offensive coordinator with the Broncos. If you can make that work, maybe you get a second chance, right? Jason Garrett fired with the Cowboys. He could be the OC with the New York Giants. If that works out, he makes Daniel Jones a star. Maybe he gets a second chance. My guess would be Corey and Hinch. After a year, sniff around a little bit. And I don't think you get the dugout right away because there's still a stigma attached to it. 
but maybe you do a little bit of scouting, you know, in the business world, you'd call it being a consultant. You kind of make your good graces again. And then you say, Hey, what, you know what? Ultimately we want people who are smart, talented, and can help us win. Right. The other day, that's what it is. And Alex Cora won a world series as a player. He won a world series as a bench coach. He won a world series as a manager. AJ Hinge won a world series as a manager, got his team there this past season. I think ultimately they will be back in Major League Baseball, whether or not they manage again, that's a trickier one. How much responsibility do you think that the players do have in all of this? I can't imagine when this whole thing came about, they said, oh, no, please don't. I would never want to do that. Uh, so what, what, <laughs> what responsibility do the players have in this whole situation? Uh, to that point, Peter, I'll get to the players in a sec, but I'm glad you raised that. Because here's the other thing I found fishy when reading the story. A.J. Hinch, you know, said he was not in favor of the scheme, okay? He, he knew what was going on. He told the guys to knock it off. He was aware of it going on stuff. And he says at one point he broke one of the cameras. And then the next day it was back. So hang on a second. If you really want to stop, you're the manager, and you break the camera for that reason, you say, hey, guys, knock it off. Stop doing this. The next day when there's a camera there, you wouldn't break it again? You're the manager, <laughs> right? Wouldn't you say, hey, guys, team meeting, who put this up here? Knock it off. We're not doing this again. I, don't, I, I really don't get that part of what I read. it. I go, so hang on a second. You have such a big enough issue. You took a moral stand that for a day you broke the camera. And then you said, ah, what the hell? I can't do anything about it. But, you know, it's like a father. I tried to parent my kids. They don't listen to me. So here's the Xbox. That's fishy <laughs> to me. Uh, back to the players and the culpability. Again, this is, I, I can't even say it without a straight face. Apparently, one of the sources told me that some of the players weren't even aware of the rules. Okay, because sign stealing is so prevalent, they weren't like 100% understanding that you can't use the video room to then steal signs. That may sound preposterous and perhaps awfully naive and gullible, but this is what happens when you have a video room used right there. And again, Ron Darling and Dan O'Dowd, the former Rockies GM, we just did the show together, they said, are you going to have to have an official from Major League Baseball in the room? like in the video replay room of every single major league game to ensure that if players go in there, they're using the equipment for the right reason, or that equipment can only be used during certain hours before the game. If you're breaking down your swing path and after the game, if you're breaking down your pitcher velocity, you see what I'm saying? Like, like technology mm -hmm. becomes a big part of it. So I don't know how much the league and the players, you have to fight with that with the union and say, well, hang on. We, we bargained this. We collectively bargained. We can need this, or how are you going to supervise that? I'm not sure. But to your point, Peter, are the players culpable? Yes. But to draw back the analogy that Pat began with eight men out, ultimately it's on the people in power. That was on Charles Comiskey, who owned the White Sox. It was on Kid Gleason, the manager. And then it goes to Eddie Seacott and Shoeless Joe. Similarly, in this situation, you got to point the finger at the GM, at Jeff Lunell, and at the manager, A.J. Hinch. You can bury Alex Corey, you can bury Carlos Belson all you want, but ultimately there's a guy in charge. And if the culture permits it, ultimately it's the person who runs the culture who is the most responsible. And that, by the way, includes the Astros owner. Jim Crane has to take some culpability here. You can't just say the report comes out, all right, I'll fire those guys. Who's next? We're clean now. It doesn't work that way. You, you kind of touched on it there. Um, do you think we'll see any changes with Major League Baseball now? I know uh, Blue Jays TV analyst Joe Siddle tweeted out a, a number of suggestions he would have and one of them is as soon as that first pitch is thrown that video room gets locked up and you throw the key away for three hours do you do you think we get to to that point they're doing something yeah that, that, there's no question that, like, I, it's interesting whenever somebody has a situation like this and and clearly rob manford is not going to stand for this kind of behavior and he's making an example of them and he's making it clear that this is not going to happen again and we haven't even touched on the fact by the way fellas Forget about the, the suspension. I mean, you're taking away the top two draft picks back-to-back -back years and the fine of $5 million. The only thing that I thought was a little bit toothless was the fine because as Pedro Gomez, my old buddy from ESPN, tweeted, the, Reds, the Astros World Series Championship was worth about $60 million. So this $5 million really is kind of chump change. It should actually be like $30 million or something like that. But the picks are notable. Uh, and, and in answer to your point, yes, Peter, I think that they will, they'll have to make some changes. I don't know if, if Joe's right as far as to throw away the key. But supervision of the room, whether it's an official from Major League Baseball monitoring what they're doing, yes. They're, they're not just going to say at face value, hey, guys, knock it off. They're going to make sure this doesn't happen again. Hey, don't. Um, I obviously don't want to dance on any graves here, like you mentioned before. But uh, a few men's loss are a few men's gain. And we're, we're hearing that John Gibbons' name is coming up in, in talks with the Houston Astros. How likely... Do you think it is that the, the former Blue Jays coach gets his first uh, non-Blue Jays head coaching job in Major League Baseball now? 
Wouldn't that be interesting? Guy was the manager of the Jays, then goes away, then comes back to the Jays, and now he's finally going to get a chance to be actually the team that was just in the World Series. When looking at the candidates, I think specifically for Houston, they want a veteran name. They want somebody who is a no-nonsense guy, disciplinary, who's going to clean this up. So some of the names that are out there. Joe Spada, who's currently the bench coach, who, again, I don't know if he knew about the scene stealing, but I think he's hurt by the fact he's with the team right now. It'll at least look better to the fan base and publicly, hey, we got an outside figure now to run the team, to, quote, clean up the team. So I think a spot of probably no. Gibbons, sure. I think Gibby absolutely gets an interview. But I think what might hurt Gibby is he's always a player's coach, friendly guy, et cetera. They might want to go a little bit more harsher. Enter three-time manager of the year, Buck Showalter. Buck certainly commands mm. respect. He'll come in there. He has a different feel. But the knock against Buck is he's not as analytics-heavy. And clearly, Lunau and the Ashers are about as analytics-heavy a team that there was. Even with Jeff gone and Lunau and AJ Hinch both out of jobs, it's kind of in the DNA of the team. Dusty Baker is an option. Again, I think he's player-friendly, but a veteran name, no nonsense. He's, not, he's great with the media, right? They're going to come after you a little bit. Dusty can shield those. Um, the one name who apparently is not interested is Bruce Bochy. He's done now the Giants. He wants to take a year off. He's not willing to get back in there. But I think you go veteran name, and in that instance, John Gibbons is a veteran name. Like Some of the other names out there, Will Venable is a former player's different manager for. I don't think he's going to get a real serious chance. I think it's more of the ilk of Showalter, Dusty, uh, and John Gibbons. Gibby with the Astros or Red Sox would just break my heart. Oh, oh, that would ruin. I mean, good for him, but oh, oh that would hurt. <laughs> well, the other one, too, is Gibby played for the Mets. Uh, to Ron right. Dillon reminded me of but 86 Mets Gibby was there. So I said, maybe John could get a sniff with the Mets. I, my feeling is, again, just a guess, Mets are going to go internal. I think they might go with like, uh, you know, maybe somebody who's on the staff right now or maybe the minor league system. That's just a feel for it. I think the Mets probably want to go internal. Because Carlos had just got there, right? They literally hired the guy two months ago, so they have other candidates there. By the way, if I'm going to stump for my guys, I'd love to see Eddie Perez get the job. Eduardo and I, of course, good buddies from our time at ESPN. Eduardo made it to the final round of interviews. So a part of me says, well, hang on. If Beltran was your first choice and Eddie was the second choice, why don't you just call Eddie and go, hey, job's yours. We got you. Uh, but I think they go internal. I, I think Astros go veteran. And Red Sox is interesting. Red Sox, I might go Ron Renicky, who was the bench coach with Boston, because mm. I don't think he's hurt by the affiliation with Alex. Like, I think if you say, oh, he was Cora's bench coach, you go, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, if, if, if Alex is the fall guy, so to speak, or the one who's most responsible, okay, whatever. Renicky did a good job at Milwaukee previously as a manager, was an excellent bench coach the last couple of years. He knows the players very well. Like, again, I think in that case, you actually want continuity. You say, oh, hang on a second. If Alex is gone, let's keep Renicky. So if my bet would be Renicky, Boston, New York internal, and Houston goes veteran name. Any, uh, just with Adnan Verk, a final thought for you. Uh, cinephile or GM shuffle or NFL or all of the above or anything else? Is there anything else you'd like to talk about this <laughs> afternoon? I love the wide net you cast. Yep. Uh, GM shuffle, good stuff. Me and Mike giving our picks as far as you know, championship weekend. It's going to be a ton of fun. We also were talking about Garrett and Shermer, that point I made earlier, about whether or not if they can reestablish themselves as offensive coordinators, whether or not that can then get to be head coaches again. So check out the GM shuffle. Cinephile, my pride and joy, of course. I talked about the Oscar nominations. Thrilled to see the Irishman get 10 nominations. And I talked to Scott Feinberg of The Hollywood Reporter. He's one of the best at breaking down the awards races. He explained how Parasite, which is a South Korean film, which is up for Best Picture, why it actually has a legitimate chance of being the first ever foreign film to win Best Picture. And I also told Scott why I think Joker's overrated. I never thought we'd see the day, boys. Joker leads the way with 11 nominations, although Scott thankfully tells me it's not going to win Best Picture, although he does say Joaquin Phoenix is probably going to win Best Actor. So lots of good movie talk. I'm going to send a file. Pat, I don't think I ever got your review, by the way, of The Irishman. I still have not seen it. And then I'm working 80 hours a week. Like, it's tough to find three, three and a half hours to watch. I'm going to watch it. And as soon as I watch it, I will text you. As soon as the final credits okay. roll, you will have a text. Even if it's 3.30 in the morning, Calgary time, you will have a text in your, uh, on your phone. Okay. Because I was thinking of this the other day. I go, you know, Pat is such a big movie guy here. But he's not, he's not giving me, even if you don't like it, I just want to, I'm like, I definitely see that. And in fairness to you, Pinder and, uh, and Nalt will always say that. They go, oh, my God, man, Steimer gets killed during the season. So I will validate your 80 hours. And one other thought here, speaking of the great city of Calgary, I get a message on my DM uh, Twitter. Hey, I'm wondering if you can come on my podcast next week. Do you have any time available? And the message was from Flames great Theo Fleury. Ooh. I, don't actually, I, I, I don't even know if this is real. I'll be honest with you. I, he I love he has a podcast. So, that is a legit thing. Okay. 
There's no way Theo Fleury knows who I am, though, right? So the, the producer... Well, no, but the- Theo Fleury is an avid listener of this radio station. I get DMs from Theo all the time, uh, whether it's something Pinder said or something I said. He's like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Fleury listens to this station all the time, so he knows you. For sure he knows you. All right. Well, apparently I might be doing Theo Fleury's podcast next Wednesday, which is a, a staggering statement. There was time to say out loud. I can't wait. <laughs> That is must-listen stuff. Good, uh, good stuff, Mr. Oh, Burke. Sorry, sorry, Pat. I, I buried the lead. So Theo originally gave the request. I said sure. It was supposed to be yesterday. He then followed up yesterday. Says I'm sorry, we have to cancel. Can we do it next week? It's minus fifty here in Calgary. Tell me if that's true or not. It's not quite minus fifty, but yesterday it was minus thirty-two without a wind chill. And uh, when you look, <laughs> scrolled down on your iPhone, it said feels like minus forty-three at one point. <laughs> uh, yeah, she cold. It's uh, I'm born and raised. I have uh, I have gone through. This is my thirty-fifth winter. I don't re- recall all of them, but this is one of the coldest I have ever ever endured in my beautiful city. Hats off, man. By the way, Ron Darling's wife from Calgary, just to bring it full circle. Oh, look at that. Uh, Currently in Calgary, minus 29 feels like minus 36. That's balmy compared to yesterday. Yeah, that's shorts weather. (laughs) Like, we get get minus 10 on Sunday. I'm going to be running around naked outside. (laughs) That's the sight that I want to see. Just just for clarity's sake, in Hocus, it's plus six right now, so I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, that that sounds like tropical weather right now. Yeah, and if you have any openings out there, like let a brother know, all right? <laughs> Peter, we'll get you in here. We'll talk baseball all day. By the way, and one other thought here, in terms of hockey, I mean, listen, it's rare we get starstruck, right? I mean, listen, I've worked now with uh, Mike Rupp, Scotty Hardnell, Flyer Grader. These guys are all really Darren Pang. A little starstruck last week at NHL Network. I work with Scott Stevens. When Ooh. you're looking at Scott Stevens, you're looking at, listen, boys, 22 seasons, three Stanley Cups, 55, I think he could still play. I swear to God. If you put Scott Stevens in the NHL right now, he would not be the worst defenseman in the hockey. That, that is intimidating working with Scott Stevens. Good guy. That is very cool. Uh, it's rare that a guy like you would get starstruck, too, so that's very cool. Yeah. it's, it's I, I mean, I, I don't care for him as a player. I didn't want him to tell him that. Listen, you broke my heart with the Flyers so many times. Somebody laid out Lindros. In yeah. Like I, I, I remember oh, it vividly. Oh, brutal. You're a good man. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> Thanks, boys. Take care. It's Adnan Verk from uh, our Major League Baseball insider uh, from everywhere. The MLB Network, NHL Network. You can name about 17 mm-hmm. other different spots. He's a boxing host. Uh, but, boy, did he kill it on the sign-stealing scandal. Like, it's yeah. 210. We're way over time, but I don't care. Like, it was too good. You couldn't not get a guy who has been covering Major League Baseball in that country for ESPN over the last decade plus. So he joins us on the Atlas Pete and Sports Bar Guest Hotline. The same secret recipe since 1975. For pickup or delivery, call 403-248-3344 and find them at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Okay, starting on Saturday, it is All Sport One City with Sport Calgary. This is an opportunity for you especially now that it's getting warmer over the weekend, to get out there and try something new, try something active that you never tried before. Uh, All Sport One City has over 100 free activities over nine days, January 18th to the 26th. Go to All Sport One City online to register and for more details. It's at sportcalfrey.ca slash allsportonecity. Once again, sportcalfrey.ca slash allsportonecity. Um, I'm taking timing notes out of the Kelly Kirsch School of Broadcasting. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Hockey Central at noon, ending at one forty-seven. Uh, we have not wow. heard from Matthew Kachuk since Saturday night, but that changed this morning in Toronto. What are Kachuk's latest thoughts on Zach Cassian and the Oilers? We'll find out next as Pinder and Steinberg, a even more condensed edition, <laughs> starts next on Sportsnet 960, The